Mark, what do they serve for lunch in Jurassic Park? <laughs> I don't know. What do they serve for lunch in Jurassic Park? Chili and sea bass. Spared no expense. Did you even watch the fucking movie this week? <laughs> Did you even watch the movie this week? You had the perfect opportunity to open with the best dad joke in the entire film. In fact, in the entire universe. And you missed it. I didn't want to do the joke from the movie. What do you call a dinosaur? Or what do you call a blind dinosaur? Do you think he saw us? What do you call a blind dinosaur's dog? Do you think he saw us, Rex? Come on, man! It was there on a plate for you. Well, I didn't. I didn't take it. And oh, before I forget, I'll kill you if this is a joke. You want to die tonight? The You Run Podcast. The You Run Podcast. The You Run Podcast. The You Run Podcast. Why isn't it possible? I can't say nothing. A candy man will get me. You choose the movies. I had a heart on this morning when I woke up, Tina. Had your name written all over it. You score them. Nice fucking model! You review them. For that you get the head, the tail, the whole damn thing. Why? Not you stupid bastard. My name is very fucking confused. What's your name? Captain Howdy. I don't want to go fooling around other folks' property. In my goddamn soul. There's a beer. Because after all, this is not our show. This is your show. Hello and welcome to Jurassic Park. No, wait, that's later. Uh, hello, welcome <laughs> to Horror Movie Review, part of the You Run Podcast Network at urunpodcast.com. My name is Scott. And my name is Mark. And we are your hosts 52 weeks a year as we take you through horror movies voted by, for by you or new releases if the mood so takes us. We are super interactive, offering you loads of opportunities to get involved. These will become obvious as we go through the episode. To get involved, follow us on social media at You Run Podcast. We are literally everywhere. I'm not going to go through them. Everywhere. If there's a social media, we are on it and we are at You Run Podcast. So you've done away with pre-recording that. You're just going to say we're everywhere. That that's it. Yeah, that, that that's easier. I, I didn't I didn't pre-record between when we recorded Dead Girl and this. So yeah, that's all you get. We are everywhere. Um, if you don't want to follow the show, but you want to follow Mark, you can do that. He's at Reviews from the Crypt on Instagram and Slasher and VHS from the Crypt on Instagram and TikTok. One reviews movies, one shares pictures of what is now an incredibly extensive VHS collection. Yes, very extensive. Are you Getting still out of hand? Are you still blagging it that these are sent to you by friends? No. So my wife, we had this debate now. So my wife drinks coffee. She's a big coffee drinker. I don't drink coffee. I imagine it's one of those things that if I started getting into, I have quite an addictive personality and I know I would be succumbed to the coffee lifestyle. So I just try and avoid it as much as I possibly can. But it turns out a coffee costs like four pound a go these days. Is that it? I pay I pay six pound eighty five when I go get mine and Lisa's coffees in the morning. 
Yeah, but I live in the Shire, so it's a lot cheaper up here than it is down south. This is true. <laughs> Old Frodo's Coffees does not charge as much as Costa. No, well, this is it. We have Costa. I think she goes to Nero. I think Nero is her weapon of choice. And I think they're like £4.30 for a large cappuccino. Yeah. So every time something comes through the door, like I'll get like a parcel delivered. She's like, I've told you, stop buying VHS tapes. I'm like, how many coffees have you bought this week? And that's pretty much how my debate goes throughout it. <laughs> But does her coffee spend rival your VHS spend? Oh, definitely. If she buys two coffees a day, so she can't start her morning without one. So she'll get up, she'll take the dog for a walk, she'll get a coffee. There's £4.30. And then, like, dinner time will come. Oh, I could do with another coffee. She'll go get another coffee. Because we don't have a coffee machine at home, so she purchases the coffees from out and about. That, she'll go for another dog walk. Christmas gift. That's a Christmas gift for you to her. Well, no, because I'm not encouraging this behaviour. It's expensive. So that's yes, like but... that's nearly nine pound a day. Yeah, so but if you that? bought a coffee machine, that would be a one-off payment, and that nine pound a day would go. You'd also lose your excuse for buying VHS. But well, but just to put it into context, that's nearly sixty pound a week spent on coffee. Yeah, that is ridiculous, and she probably doesn't realise how much money she actually spends on coffee a week. Um. So for me, if I buy like a couple of tapes a week on eBay, it's maybe what I spend like three, four quid a tape plus postage. I'll be lucky if I do 10, 15 quid a week. Some yeah. weeks I don't even buy anything. I, I've got to the point now where I like, I don't really need many more. No. <laughs> I've completed most of the franchises and stuff. So it's just like a nice rounded out collection. Yeah. See, I'm not a coffee person. So Lisa will have a cappuccino in the morning. I have at the moment, because it's Christmas, they do Christmas chocolate, Christmas hot chocolates. So this oh, nice. morning I had a roasted hazelnut and caramel hot chocolate. Yeah, that just doesn't appeal to me. I don't see why everyone's so attracted to this coffee lifestyle. Is it because it's cool? Is it cool to drink coffee and be like, oh, I'm going for a latte? No, I, I just like hot chocolate. And it's, oh. it's someone else makes it for me and it tastes good and it's got whipped cream on the top. So <laughs> so you're a child. I, I, you're yeah, telling me. <laughs> basically, yeah, I'm a child. I even had marshmallows this morning. I was going to say, do you request marshmallows? <laughs> yes, I did. I had mini marshmallows this morning. Um, you can also get involved in the show by sending us an email, yourunpodcast at gmail.com. If you do that, we'll read them out on the air. You can also send us a voicemail. It's really easy. All you need to do is any of the social medias that allow you to send an audio DM, push on the microphone, say what you need to say, let go, and we will get it. If you like us, leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, hit subscribe and hit the notification bell. Do that. Yeah, do that. Then you yeah. will not miss anything. Yes. you Well, no, you definitely won't because uh, now everything goes on YouTube. Every episode of every show. Yeah. YouTube is like the hub. If you want to watch it, it's on YouTube. Do YouTube do like an audio thing? Because like YouTube's really accessible. There's a lot of stuff on there that I like and like like to watch. I don't necessarily like to watch stuff. I like to listen to things. So like if I'm in the shower, I'll put like YouTube on and like listen to people talking about movies and stuff. But then like I can't necessarily go out and enjoy my day in the van or if I'm working and have like an audio option just to listen to them. Yeah, they do a podcast option, but it's not very good. It's the same as Spotify do a video option, but that's not very good. So I can upload the video version of the show to Spotify but it's not great. No, but like if I was to watch like a video on YouTube, for example, I don't know, just I don't know, off the top of my head from one of the ones that I watch, I watch 3C films. He like does movie news and movie reviews and things like that. If I wanted to listen to him in headphones while I was at work, I couldn't do that via YouTube. He'd have to have no. a specific podcast. Yeah. 
designated yeah see that's yeah. what's annoying about it yeah i don't right. know that's just me personally people like to sit and watch it i just don't i don't like to sit in one place enough to sit and watch something in that context i like to no. listen to my reviews and stuff on the go yeah i'm headphones and yeah or in the truck and i listen in the truck I, i'm I watch very little on YouTube. What I do watch, I, I tend to watch early in the mornings before I do anything for the day. Yeah. The only time I tend to really do watching and listening at the same time is when I'm cooking. But even then, I like I'll have my tablet set up in the kitchen while I'm cooking away. And I find myself like milking excessive meals, making a la carte menus on a fucking Tuesday night just so I can watch certain videos on YouTube. <laughs> Okay, yeah, that, that, that worries me. Um, Christmas is fast approaching, um, and we showcase so much R-rated horror on this show that we decided we'd put out a poll that gave you something that was give you a different option. Things that are technically horror, horror yeah, technically horror movies, but they're not actually horror movies. So we had like RoboCop, we had Terminator, we had Death Becomes Her, and then we had jurassic park um it was a landslide victory every movie jurassic park went up against it smashed the shit out of everything it was jurassic park and terminator in the final it was like 90 percent versus 10 i was adamant um terminator was going to win this to be honest with you yeah there's there's a lot more love for jurassic park than i realized i put out a poll with our last four episodes for the year like which one are you most excited to see? And like every comment near enough was Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. Apart from Ginger Dead Man. Apart from Ginger Dead Man, where I just shared clips of Gary Busey going, Buddy Sausage. Oh, I'll talk about Buddy Sausage. <laughs> that is the most wildest thing I think I've ever seen. I cannot wait to do Ginger Dead Man for that reason alone. <laughs> the Christmas Day episode, which will be our Ginger Dead Man episode, expect a huge amount of Gary Busey just spewing nonsense clips. <laughs> interspersed into that heavily drunken episode excellent yeah today we look at the dangers of messing with genetics how hot 90s jeff goldblum really was he really was a hot hunky dude in the 90s um why you should never use a portaloo in the forest and most importantly while steven spielberg is the greatest director of all time Today, we are covering the 1993 box office smash revolutionising movie, Jurassic Park. <laughs> I knew you were going to do it. I knew it. That's why I, I was paused. trying my hardest not to as well. <laughs> I, I could feel you. I could feel the tension building in your face. I was like, it's coming. It's coming. I wasn't I sure. Tried not to do that. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were going with that or. Anyway, here's the trailer. To Jurassic Park. We've made living biological attractions so astounding that they'll capture the imagination of the entire planet. The most phenomenal discovery of our time. How'd you do this? Becomes the greatest adventure of all time. Can I touch it? Sure. Universal Pictures presents. You feel that? Hold on to your butts. A Steven Spielberg film. Fences are failing all over the park. Yeah, that's nice. Gotta go. An adventure. Look out! Go! I can't get Jurassic.
Jurassic Park back online. 65 million years in the making. Jurassic Park. So the scores are in. Listeners scored this a 9 out of 10. IMDb rocked in 8.2 out of 10. And Letterboxd gave this a 4.1 out of 5. How is that not top marks across the board? Uh, nothing gets top marks across the board because you always get someone on there go, one star, it had a dinosaur, I don't like dinosaurs. <laughs> that is the internet summed up in one quote. It, literally, like if you look through some of the one, there are one star reviews for this. I didn't do it on this episode because we don't need that kind of neg- negativity today. But like some of the one star reviews are like, well, the dinosaurs, were penned in, and no animal should be penned in. I'm all for animal rights. This is disgusting. One star. At one point, they had sushi in a bar, and I advocate for fish freedom. Yes, one (laughs) One star. One (laughs) star. Yeah. Um, If you've never seen this before, what fucking rock have you been living under? However, um, I will give you a movie synopsis if you haven't. A crazy scientist and his teams recreate dinosaurs and put them into an amusement park. Before they can open to the public, they have a select group of trial guests come to see Jurassic Park in all its glory. Nature does not like to be contained. All hell breaks loose along with the dinosaurs. That's what you're getting. Um, We are a spoiler-heavy show. We have a spoiler warning. I'm not playing it, because if you have not seen Jurassic Park, you you need a long, hard look at yourself in the mirror. Oh, we're not going to get Heather today? I don't think we need Heather. Do we need Heather today? We always need Heather. Can we just play it anywhere? Yeah, okay. So if you've been living in a cave somewhere in the Outer Hebrides for the last 35 (laughs) years, here's your spoiler warning. You can read the fucking episode title and be like, I've never seen this. Don't fucking listen to it then. If y'all haven't seen it, that's not anybody's problem. Don't listen to the damn episode yet. I feel like Heather was wasted. Yeah, it will be a very sad day on this podcast when we stop using that spoiler warning. And I don't feel like this is the episode to start. Yeah, I just feel like I feel like we wasted Heather. I feel like she come out and like gave the spoiler warning and nobody needed it. No, nobody needed it, but everybody needs a bit of Heather in their life. I got a brilliant episode the other day, uh, a message the other day. Someone was been binging um, episodes and like they were talking about the episodes. They're like, Heather, I get it. This spoiler heavy. <laughs> Okay, somebody doesn't like Heather. We need oh, to no, know no. who that person is. No, no, they love Heather. They're like, it cracks me up every time, but every time I'm sat in my car going, I know, I know. <laughs> Excellent. Um, this is spoiler heavy. We're, we're, it's Jurassic Park. It's arguably one of the greatest movies ever made. This is going to be the most detailed, run-through, gushy episode you're ever getting from me and Mark, where we'll both be on the same page for everything. Which is very unusual, so strap in. Yeah, strap. I don't know if we can. I do. don't know. I think we 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 will find we will find things. I'm sure there'll be nothing we disagree about on this movie. Everything's great. End of. There's one thing I know we will disagree about, but we will get there. Okay. Um, we start with a raptor being delivered to Jurassic Park. This opening scene is fabulous. The set design alone deserves an Academy Award. You see this big crate coming in and it's lowered down and you've got, I can't think, what's the guy's name? The guy who's like, um, I don't know, he's like Indiana Jones Raptor Wrangler. Uh, I want to say 
Hooper, but I don't think that's right. But he's like got that cool, slick '80s Maverick name to him. Yeah, and it's some. It's further in my notes. I will know his name later, but I do not know it now. Um, yeah, I really he, like this guy a lot. Yeah, he he's great. Um, they put the Raptor pen down. You see them push it back, and they lock it in place. This bit always annoys me. This bit always annoys me. I'm going to bring it up now because I want to get my criticisms for this film out of the way early. They lock it into place. Yeah. And then this crate has a ladder up the side of it. Yeah. This stormtrooper, if you will, of the Jurassic Park world shimmies up the ladder. And then they have to open this thing manually with all the tech they are showcasing on this screen and all this amazing set design. In order for the Raptor to get from the case into the confinement, he has to manually lift up the gate to let it out. Yeah. And it always bothers me, and I don't know why. It's like the most minute detail in this movie, but it just pisses me off. I'm like, surely you can have a button for that. Honestly, that is like the most nitpicky of nitpicky <laughs> comments you've ever made on an episode it is but i was watching it again today for like the third time this week and i was like oh, it still bothers me why they don't just have a button to open that gate yeah well they don't and this guy goes up and he lifts the cage as he lifts the cage the raptor just like pushes the entire crate back about three foot drags in some unsuspecting jurassic park worker all the Jurassic Park workers, by the way, look like they're sidekicks for Dr. Evil. They look like henchmen. Yeah, they're stormtroopers. <laughs> yeah. Um, drags that in and, and eats it. And you get the um, the guy, the Indiana Jones guy going, shoot her! Shoot her! <laughs> While he's clinging onto this guy's arm. It's actually a really well-filmed scene. Really well-filmed scene. Um, and we cut from here and we meet the lawyer as he arrives on the island. Do you want to describe the lawyer? Uh, how do I describe this lawyer? Um, well, he's just a suit, isn't he? And the fact that his suit is about three times too big for him, just it's almost as if it's purposeful it, to showcase that he is just a suit. Yeah, he does look like he's raided his dad's like suit cupboard to go to a, an interview. That's exactly yeah. how he looks. He's a perfect guy who is there just to count the numbers and make sure everything runs smoothly on paper. Yeah, and we get a look at the mines and we get uh, a bit of exposition about how they've been digging in the mines to to find Amber. We don't get any real details yet, but we get a little bit. Um, no, and... they sort of insu- they insinuate here that they're trying to get Grant. Yeah. Dr. Grant. Um, Do- Dr. Grant. And, and the digger is like, no, you'll never get Dr. Grant because Dr. Grant's like me. He's a digger. He won't come here. And then yeah. he's like, I live for digging. And then he shows us that he's dug out this um, mosquito trapped in yeah. Amber. Yeah. And, and I like this. I like the fact that they instantly set up like, Gigi, we want Dr. Grant. Good luck with that. Yeah. yeah that is literally he's, what he's he says up. to him. Yeah. He's no chance you're getting Dr. Grant here. Yeah. Um, and we now cut to Dr. Grant and Dr. Sattler. Um, and this is where it began for me, guys. This is where I became a man. This movie is Dr. What Grant made done me a that man. much, done it that much for no. you, didn't he? No, but my obsession with Laura Dan still burns strong to this day. Really? And I love this film on rewatch after rewatch. I love her. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but I'm obsessed. I just love Laura Dern. And her in this role in this movie is Chef's Kiss. Mwah. Love yeah. her. Love her. Uh, I don't I don't want to I don't want to rain on your parade, but she's like <laughs> the only character in this is a bit like meh. Oh, dude. Yeah, I I like she, she not serves in a, this house, we will not have that blasphemy. She serves a purpose <laughs> in this movie, but I wouldn't say that. I, uh, yeah, shouldn't do it for me. Oh, I love Laura Dern. 
Yeah, no. Just in I'd... case you didn't know, I do love Laura Dern a lot. Are you should you want to say it anymore? Because that's going to become a soundbite. I sound love Laura Dern. <laughs> yeah, that's a soundbite for 2024. <laughs> Whenever Mark says something that annoys me, I'm just going to play a clip of him going, I love Laura Dern. <laughs> I do, I do. I don't know why. Because I understand it's a weird thing to love. Um, I love I the way they set this up. So they're digging for fossils and you see them like dusting the fossils and they're using new technology to basically... This is existing technology. I don't know if it was in the 90s, but basically they they fire a cartridge onto the floor and it bounces down sound and that bounces back up, which gives them an image. And mm. Dr. Grant touching the PC and every time he goes near it, it fuck, fucking stops working. Oh, it's so cool. So it's cool. you. <laughs> it is. <laughs> like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, it's Mark every time we try and record. He'd like, he can't, he has to sit with his head, like, bum on his hand so he doesn't touch his mic, he doesn't touch his headphones. <laughs> I but love yeah. this. It's a really, really cool way of just showing how dated and old school he is and set in his ways that this character is. But it's yeah. just done so subtly and it's, it's really clever. Yeah. And I love the little kid. The little kid's like, oh, they're just big turkeys then. And this is where Dr. Grant gives him, like, PTSD levels of trauma. I have to assume that this kid's parent was in the crowd who was yeah. there for this thing. Like, if I was a parent and Dr. Grant was traumatising my child for life, I feel like there is a moment where I would have stepped in and been like, look, that's enough, dude. I think he gets a message. Yeah, there's part of me that would, but this kid's, like, 13, 14, and he's at the age where he's being a rebellious little dick. There's I can't a big remember part- what he initially says. Uh, he says, oh, so they were big turkeys. Oh, they're scary. Oh, that's it, yeah. <laughs> and Dr. Grant is like, yeah, and he gives the whole speech of, like, how one raptor will be in front of you, and you're going to face that raptor, but no, they're going to come in from the sides, and they're going to ambush you, and then they're going to slash at you with this, and he pulls out, like, a fossilised raptor claw, and it's like, Yeah, wow. he's like, oh, they wouldn't just cut your throat and end you quickly. They will cut you here and here and here, and probably across here, so all your innards fall out on the floor. And while you're still breathing, they will start eating you. I was like, holy shit, dude. Yeah. This kid's like eight years old. Leave him alone. <laughs> yeah, the thing is that he's he's older than that, and he's at the age where he's rebellious. So I imagine the parents are like, that's it. You traumatize him. Save me fucking telling him off later. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, you'll wash the dishes this time, otherwise the raptors will get you, you little shit. It's exactly <laughs> that. Uh, they walk back up to their little cabin and they're having a talk and he's like, I'd love one of those one day. And he's like, what? She's like, a kid. And he's like, but they smell. And she's like, yeah. it, it, it's, it's a very similar argument to which most men who don't initially want children have with their spouse. Or we'll even a... if you're talking about having a second child, he has the same thing. And he's like, they're expensive, they smell, they take up all of your time. Yeah. And then this is where they sort of set up the... Because it's never really touched upon the relationship between Dr. Grant and... I always forget Laura Dan's character. She is Dr... Sattler. Dr. Sattler. But she says, would you... So this is the only inkling that you get, apart from a conversation he has with Dr. Malcolm later on where he where she says to him would you not like the idea no she doesn't say would you not like the idea of a little dr grant she says oh i think the idea of me and you having a little dr grant running around yeah so you kind of get the idea that they're together yeah they they are definitely together but he's a hundred percent not in for a kid you think they're together but they're not are they really because the sequels Um... would lead you to believe that they're not yeah I, i think and this doesn't necessarily thoroughly imply that they are no, th- this is very true. Um, John Hammond's arrival 
Oh, Richard Attenborough's arrival is spectacular. Comes in in a helicopter, causes absolute chaos. They're like, cover the fossils. And the, the helicopter lands. They run up to their little camper, burst in like, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, oh, hi. And he like pops champagne. They're like, we were saving that for a special occasion. He's like, that's today. Yeah. And like they, like Dr. Grant really goes off at him. Like, who the fuck are you? And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm John Hammond. I'm the person who funds your dig here. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, right, okay then. Yeah, sorry. Oh, uh, yeah, then Laura Dern bursts in and she's like, oh, my God, what have you done? And he's like, oh, shh, 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 it's the man. It is the man. Yeah, and he's like, he's like, I, I've created a theme park and I need you to come and sign off on it. And they're like, mm, no, we're really busy. He's like, well, I will fund your dig fully for the next three years if you come to yeah. the park. And I all of a sudden, endorsement. yeah, and all of a sudden that's like, that's a great idea. Yeah, we'll yeah. do that. So... Who is Richard Attenborough supposed to be in this movie? I know, obviously, I don't mean, I don't mean his, his John presence. In, yeah, what is his accent? Because this was the first time I watched this movie back, and I was like, "Are you Scottish? Are you Irish? Are you Welsh? I do not know where you're supposed to be located." It, it, he's he's British. That's literally how he sounds. He hasn't put an accent on for this. That's just his voice. Is it really though? Because it yeah. sounds very wonky in places. I'm like, who are you trying to? Because I just imagine, based on his brother, that he is full Queen's English I, British. I know that Steven Spielberg told him to try and be as close to his brother in tone as he could. But his brother's proper Queen's English, and for those of you who don't know, his brother is David Attenborough, the legend who yeah. deals with animals on the BBC for the past hundred years. Um, yeah. And probably the next hundred years. He is this immortal. guy will not die. Yeah. <laughs> um, but his accent's just really wonky in this. I couldn't put, quite place it. It, it. it was annoying I, me a little bit. I honest. don't know if he lives in the States or lived in the States. I don't know if that's kind of a, he is British, but he moved and lived somewhere else. And he picked up a bit of that twang, but this is how he speaks. And I've seen loads of interviews for Jurassic Park, where he talks exactly the same. It's not put on. This is just just how he sounds. That's interesting, because I've never heard him off mic, so I wouldn't know. But the same can be said for um, Sam Neill, because he's a New Zealander. I always assumed he was Irish based on his performance in Peaky Blinders, because that is a fucking solid Irish accent. Yes, Um, But he's from New Zealand, and when he first came on to this, he was supposed to be doing an American accent, and Steven Spielberg said to him, after like two days of shooting, he was like, you know what? This isn't working. Why don't you just be yourself? Just be you. <laughs> just be you. So then he did like another two or three days filming in his New Zealand accent. And then Steven Spielberg then said to him again, right, okay, why don't we just meet this somewhere in the middle? Because yeah. <laughs> you are being too New Zealand and not enough American. So can we just find the balance? And then yeah. he spent like the rest of the film trying to find a midpoint. And then for the rest of his career, everyone was like, Sam Neill cannot do an American accent. <laughs> no, but... I was like, oh, poor guy. And he's like, it's not even my fault. I was just doing what Steven Spielberg told me to do. And across the board, the cast in this are fabulous. Um, the, the next member of the cast is arguably my favourite. We meet Dennis Nedry. I love Dennis Nedry. He, he is like the the park tech um, but we meet him where he sat like at a little beach bar and the, the he he meets another guy and they're talking about so Dennis Nedry is going to steal all of the embryos from Jurassic Park and sell them to this other guy for vast amounts of money and this other guy turns up and he's like hat and sunglass Dennis is like why are you dressed up like a spy 
Yeah, he's like, seven. He's like, why did you use my real name? He's like, Larry's here. La- La- Larry, Larry Smith is here. He's like, no one fucking cares. <laughs> no, no, literally, no one cares. And then, like, he eats his meal. He's like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And then he's like, he's like, right, well, I'm going to go. And he looks at this bloke. He's like, don't get cheap on me. Like, you're paying for lunch. Bear in mind, he's just handed him a suitcase with $1.4 million in it, I believe. Yeah. And he'll get the rest of the other $10 million later on after he's delivered the vials. Yeah. And he's got a suitcase of £104 million in his chest. And he's like, yeah, you're going to pay this $40 bill then or what? Yeah. <laughs> what is it? He's just, don't get cheap on me now. Yeah. <laughs> he's such he's such a good character and he's such a hateable character that he, he delivers it so well. And you genuinely hate this guy from the first minute you meet him. They paint him to be such an asshole. They do. And to be honest with you, it kind of disappoints me a little bit throughout this film how wasted he actually is. Because there is such evolution to be done with this character that it never really comes to fruition. Like, I, not to jump too far ahead, but obviously he gets killed off fairly early on. I would have liked to have seen him come back to the compound, miss a boat, and then be like, then have to deal with the characters all being like, you fucking caused this, this is all your fault. And I just feel like that was a slight missed opportunity with his character, considering how good of an actor he is as well and how much he brings to this first act. Um, But again, this is a perfect film. I'm just nitpicking for the sake of yeah, nitpicking you, and you I'm theorising really on things. I am. I am completely nitpicking for the sake of it and just theorising on things that I would have liked to have seen come from it. And I think that he would have been a nice character to have brought back later on and have to deal with the impact of everybody else being like, you have done this. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's a great character, though. I, I do like him. Uh, we cut to the helicopter where you've got Dr. Hammond, you've got Dr. Grant, Dr. Sadler, and we meet Dr. Malcolm, Jeff Goldblum, Legend. in all of his manly glory. He's so cool. There's the no smoothest other... motherfucker on the planet. Yeah, there's no other way to describe it. And not much happens in this scene, but we get some beautiful shots. And this is filmed in on a couple Hawaii. of the Hawaii, Hawaiian islands, if you don't yeah. know. Uh, filmed on the same island they filmed Lost, if anyone watched Lost. And this is the thing as well. That's one thing you really appreciate when you watch this film back is how important it is to film on location. It is such a dying art due to sound stages and green screens that most Hollywood productions have these days. If you go and watch some of the later Lost uh, Jurassic Park movies and then compare them to what they've done here, actually filming on location and having those real-world landscapes and backdrops in comparison to the CGI landscapes and green screen stuff that we get today, they're just not even comparable between the two. And it's so disappointing that we've transitioned from that into what we have today. Um, And because we've been so blinded by it, because that's all there is these days, when you go back and watch a film like this and see the realism that you get from the set locations that take place in Jurassic Park, it's, it's, it, it, honestly, it really, it just it blows my mind that we don't no longer film in this way. Yeah, it's it's crazy that we now do everything on green screen or blue screens. I think they are now. Is it um, blue now? They arrive at the park. They get off the helicopter. They get in their jeeps and they drive off into the into the fields, and they stop. And we get one of the most iconic scenes ever, where you've got. Dr. Sattler's looking at her map and she's gibbering away going, oh, I don't know where we are. And she's got a leaf and she's like, this leaf has been dead for 63 million years. And then you see Dr. Grant grabs her head and turns her head 
and she one just... of the most memeable and iconic scenes throughout cinema, in my opinion. Yes, I've used it to advertise the show before. <laughs> um, and they stand up, and we get confronted with a is it a brachiosaurus or a brontosaurus? A uh, brachiosaurus, I believe. Yeah, the, the dinosaur with the big long neck. That one. Yeah. The giraffe. Brontosaurus dino. and brachiosaurus are very similar. I'm not going to dive too much into the Scientology behind dinosaurs because I don't know too much myself, but I believe this is a brachiosaurus. Yeah, uh, this is such a good scene because they're they're absolutely dumbfounded, dropped to the floor, and they're like, "How how fast do they move?" And to 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 Doctor Hammer's like. Well, we clocked the T Rex at thirty two miles an hour. They're like, You've got a T Rex. Like, yeah, we've got a T Rex. And then it yeah. pans round, you see all these different dinosaurs like going down to the water and hold. Dr. Grant's like teary eyed, like, they move in herds. I knew they moved in herds. <laughs> and it, it's and it is so good. And this is where Hammer's like, Look, you haven't seen anything yet. Let's get to the compound and we'll actually show you what's going on. It's like, fuck, I haven't seen anything yet. I've just seen 65 million years of evolution just reversed and plonked in front of me. It's so cool. And the thing is as well with this movie is like, it literally changed the way that everybody perceived dinosaurs in general. Like we now, whenever you think of a dinosaur, you immediately revert back to Jurassic Park. This is gospel in terms of dinosaur mythology now, in terms of how they sound, how they look, how they move, how they interact. Before this film, we didn't necessarily have that sort of context. And now they made the sounds for this movie. They made the sound of a T-Rex. They made the sound of a Velociraptor. They made the movements and the way that they interact with each other. That was all, obviously it was based on some sort of science. Yeah, but it's all actually incorrect. Which is crazy. It's, oh yeah, it's massively incorrect because apparently dinosaurs are feathered creatures. Yeah, <laughs> it's, just, it's just completely <laughs> Not reptiles. But it, 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 you're right; it has completely changed. Like it, even my even my eldest, like my youngest boy, if I said to him, "What does a T Rex look like?" he would reference Jurassic Park. Exactly, and it's just so mind blowing that this has changed the course of history in terms of what and it, whether it be factually correct or not this this is now what people think of when they think of dinosaurs yeah uh, we get on a little ride and we get the tour dna cartoon this this was quite funny really I love this it reminded me of that clippy thing that you used to get on um, yeah, clip art. the old school microsoft yeah. word program things on like windows 96 yeah the <laughs> little that annoying clip. little thing that popped up in the corner it's exactly like that um, but it's such a good way to dump exposition so you've got this dna strand and it's telling you how how dna works and what dna is and the fact they didn't get a full dna strand but they used a frog to fill in the middle bit which was it, perfect for me because I like the way that they didn't just immediately go, oh, yeah, we found a mosquito and then we pulled it out and then that was it. We just had to find different variations of mosquitoes. I was like, no, we still needed to include modern day animals that are still alive today in order to fill in the gaps to bridge in order to create what we've created. Yeah, So it's exactly not necessarily that. a full carbon copy DNA replica. They've still had to modify it. Yeah, to make it science. work. Yeah. yeah. Um, as the ride starts moving, they go past a bit where you've got Dr. Hammond going, these are the real geniuses of Jurassic Park. And they're like, oh, are they animatronics? It's like, no, these are the real deal. And they've got dinosaur uh, yeah. eggs and stuff. And that's when, like, everyone on the ride just, like, forces the bar up and they go yeah, in. Yeah, because it starts off where uh, Dr. Grant's like, I need to get out, I need to get out. And then all of a sudden it's like, 
Then Laura Dan's like, oh, I'll help you. I'll help you. And then <laughs> Dr. Malcolm at the end is like, right, listen, on the count of three, one, two, three. And they just push and yeah. just shove the full thing off so they can escape. Um, we go into this room and we meet a baby raptor. Um, the baby raptor practical effect is phenomenal. The, to be honest with you, the effects in this movie in general are better than cheap. anything we get now, still. 100%. And it went on quite a massive journey throughout the entire production of this film. So originally, Steven Spielberg was very insistent on this all being done with animatronics and puppetry and robots, which is very inclusive in the film. There's a lot of it that does feature that. So he initially brought in Stan Winston's production team to do all of the like animatronics and things like that. But then obviously the stuff that would feature dinosaurs moving in real world, they had to bring in the legend, Mr. Phil Tibbetts. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of Phil Tibbetts. Mad God is a massive massive inspiration for me. I'm a big fan of stop motion. And this is sort of like the king of stop motion animation is Phil Tibbetts. He's done some amazing work. He did all of the animatronic works and stop motion work in Robocop. Um, So they brought him in to do, all of the stop motion work, which would be the T-Rex and the Raptors and things like that, that we would get. But the problem they had with it was, as you know, with stop motion animation, it's frame by frame and then sped up to sort of create a moving picture. And in that, you kind of get that staggered sort of, so you can sort of see the step-by-step changes. That's something that's called motion blur if you don't have it. So when you do incorporate it, you incorporate motion blur, which is what then makes a step-by-step photo seem more seamless. Yeah. So then they brought in a company called Industrial Light Magic. Industrial Light Magic is like a CGI-based company before CGI was a massive thing. And they were brought in to then take charge of motion blur on Phil Tibbetts' stop-motion animation. They brought him in. They made it seamless. You can go online now and go on YouTube and you can look for the original Phil Tibbetts stop motion work for Jurassic Park. Just type that in and you will find the stuff where he's used. And it's almost scene for scene where you can see the scenes where he's got the first initial T-Rex outbreak with Malcolm and stuff in the cars um, and some of the raptor scenes from the kitchen where he's actually filmed all of these scenes in stop motion animation. Then they brought in... um, ILM to do the motion blur. They've added the motion blur and it looks flawless. But there is a guy who worked for ILM called um, Stan Williams and he kind of went off on his own covert operation. He was like, I can do this in CGI. And like the head ponchos and everyone was like, no, just back off. Phil Tibbetts yeah. is doing it. Just do your motion blur and stay in your lane kind of thing. So he went off unaided for four months and created an exoskeleton CGI dinosaur yeah. for T-Rex. Um and he'd showed and he filmed this and he did all the CGI work for it, but he couldn't like quite sort of flesh it out and finalize it. So he just had the exoskeleton. They say it took him four months because he couldn't quite figure out how to make it run properly. Um, and once he'd finalized it, he brought in the producer of the movie, which was Catherine, Kathleen Kennedy. Um, and she was coming in to do like a screen test at, um, uh, ILM to, to sort of see how he was getting on with the motion blast stuff. And he's like, I couldn't just sort of ambush her directly with what I'd achieved because she'd just dismiss it straight away. Yeah. So what he'd done was he'd put it on in a monitor in one of the other rooms that he knew she'd be walking through. To oh, see. clever. Yeah, so he just basically had it playing in another room that he knew she'd have to bypass that room to get to the meeting about the motion blast stuff that was going on. And she walked past it and saw it and was like, oh, what's this? 
So he'd gone off on his own little covert operation to do this, and she just saw it, blew her, it blew her mind. And it, honestly, if you, even now, if you watch it now, it, it, to see it, you're like, oh, that's really fucking clever, even holding up to today's standards. And she was like, that is absolutely amazing. She took that. She went off to go see George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. She's like, listen, this guy, Stan Williams, is working on something. I know you told him not to and to leave it to Phil Tibbetts, but you need to see what he's done. Yeah. They give him like another four minutes, uh, four months to sort of like flesh the skin out and try and make it look as best they could do. And then they filmed the scene. There's a scene where he's walk, the T-Rex is walking through the film. It's not actually in the in the movie, but he just basically had an open landscape of a field. Of a field. Yeah. And then he interjected his CGI T-Rex walking through the film through the field and then doing like this massive roar at the end. They showcased it to Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, and a few other um, executive producers and Kathleen Kennedy. And then they saw it and apparently the rest is history. That was it. Phil Tibbetts even turned around and was like, I feel like extinct. I feel like a dinosaur. He was then demoted from the film. His stop motion animation then ceased to exist. So all they had was Stan Winston's animatronics, which they use for quite a lot of the close-up scenes where you've got like the T-Rex and things like that. And then the rest of it is all done with Stan Williams' ELM um, CGI program. And they couldn't quite get the dinosaur movements right. So although they could like sort of do it on the computer and get all the CGI to work and get it to work well and transition well, they couldn't quite get the human movements of the way that these things would move around. So they brought Phil Tibbetts back as a, so he's credited on this as a dinosaur. Oh, what do they call him in this movie? I can't remember what his credit is now. He's not credited as like the main, he's cre- basically like a yoga instructor for dinosaurs. So he That's came amazing. in to work with, he basically came in and worked with ILM um, to, sh- to basically teach them how the dinosaurs would fluidly move. So that they could interject that into their CGI movements of the dinosaurs. Um, yeah. And yeah, the rest is fucking history, man. And this was one of the greatest interjections of CGI in cinema that no one had ever seen up until this point. And I know no. I've gushed about it and I've gone on a big long rant about the history of it all, but it's, it's really important to understand the behind the scenes stuff that went on with this film to realize how vital it is to the changing of cinema. Because yeah. this film has changed cinema forever. Yeah, it, it genuinely has. And I'm glad you shared that because I didn't know any... Well, I knew Phil Tibbetts was involved and I've seen some of the shots on YouTube. that I'm sure I'll be dropping some in real so everyone will get to see it. But yeah, I've seen it as well. So yeah, I'm glad you shared it. Yeah, I'm a big Phil Tibbetts fan and this was like he lost his mind when he was sort of debunked from this film. No one, when they got the news that they were going to introduce um, ILM's company to take over what he did he got that sick and ill with worry he got like hyperthermia and no one heard from him for like 10 days he just Fucking lost his hell. mind and then there's a scene in the movie where they're walking up the staircase and um dr grant turns around to i can't remember who he says it to and he's like oh i think we need to find a new job yeah and malcolm turns around he's like oh yeah you could say you're extinct yeah that is a direct quote from phil tibbetts because oh, he that's said amazing. in this moment he was like i'm extinct now that's so cool. That's and Steven so, so Spielberg, cool. instead of being like, oh, I'm really sorry you're out of a job, he's like, I'm putting that in the movie. Oh, I'm using your line. Thank you very much. <laughs> that is exactly what he said to him when he broke the news. Um, we now get to see a big raptor because they have a meltdown moment. They're like, you have raptors? He's like, no, he's like, you have a raptor. And Dr. Hammer's like, no, we have raptors, plural. We have many raptors. 
and they get to see a, a cow be fed to a raptor. Um, and we get it's Muldoon is the guy's name. Muldoon, yes. Uh, and Muldoon's like, I told him to put this one down, but they wouldn't listen to me. It's like, yeah, you're foreshadowing loads <laughs> of shit there. And then we go to like this dinner discussion. They have quite a deep discussion. And this is where Dr. Malcolm comes into his own. He's like, just because you could, just because you you can do it. Did you ever think for a second, should we bring back something that's been extinct for 65 million years? Is that a good idea? Of course you didn't. You brought it back. You stuck it on a lunchbox and fucking all you're looking at now is how much money you're going to make. Yeah. And it's a really interesting conversation between the two of them as they talk about how white rhinos are due to extinct and if you could save them and all the rest of it and all these other animals that have died and gone into extinction due to human interference and malcolm's like yeah but that's caused by deforestation which we have done so if i had the opportunity to prevent that and bring them back i would but the dinosaurs had their chance and they blew up 10 million years ago before we were even involved yeah there was a big meteor killed all of them that's natural selection at its bare core and you shouldn't fuck with that is his position on it um, they go now on their tour, their Jeep, Jeep on a track tour. And um, we've realized that Dr. Hammond, uh, Dr. Hammond's got his grandkids there. Um, they split up into the cars and Sattler tries to make Dr. Grant go with the kids, but fails miserably. So you get, Sa- you get Sattler, Grant and Hammond in, no, Sattler, Grant and Malcolm in one Jeep. And you get the kids and the lawyer in the other Jeep. Um, the tour begins and we go through the big Jurassic Park gates, which are now iconic. But the idea behind this was because Steven Spielberg loved the original 19... I'm not going to try and correct the date. The King Kong movie, the original yeah. black and white one. He was like, I love that. That's what I want. Just stick a Jurassic Park logo on it and build it. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's brilliant. Um, we also get some inklings that a storm is coming. Uh, we briefly meet Samuel L. Jackson in this point where he's like, got a fag hanging out of his mouth he's like yeah there's oh, a storm did, coming. by the way by the way right did you watch this you're you've smoked in the past i know you no longer smoke i've smoked myself as well that fig burns down to the filter to the point where he is just smoking pure plastic yeah. and it made me so anxious that that that's how i smoked all my cigarettes all the way down no to the end what yeah. <laughs> waste not want not um <laughs> Just like every zoo, and I loved this little touch, just like every zoo, on the tour, they can't see shit because the dinosaurs don't go near the fences. Exactly the same as when you go on any zoo where you drive through or you walk through, all of the animals hide because they don't want to be stared at. And it's such a great little touch that they didn't need to do, but it's perfect. Literally perfect. Yeah, Samuel L. Jackson in the control room with Dennis, their little bickering is brilliant. And I love the fact that Dennis is such a disgruntled employee. He's whinging at Hammond like, well, you didn't pay me enough. And I'm going to say, to run a park full of prehistoric dinosaurs, to have two people to run all of that is bad planning. Very, very bad planning. There's a scene in this as well, which always confuses me, where Dennis calls him dad. And I don't know whether it's done in a sarky way. Yeah. Or whether it's implied that he is actually Hammond's son. No, he's just being sarcastic. Right, okay. Because he's, he's like, oh, you're old. So, it's yeah. it, right, it's as simple as for a way as that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we get to the T-Rex paddock on the tour, and they stop, and there's no T-Rex, surprise, surprise. And we get a goat box. It's literally a cage that rises up out of the ground containing a goat. And, and nothing girls, happens. No, the, the, the little girl's like, 
what's going to happen to the goat? And the, her brother's <laughs> like, the T-Rex is going to fuck it up. That's what's happening to the goat. <laughs> I like um, this as well, because Dr. Ham, um, Dr. Malcolm starts tapping on the computer, because already they've been past the Dipliodocleus. Dipliodocleus. Diplodocus. They've been past like three dinosaurs and they've got to the T-Rex and they've seen nothing up until this point. And he's tapping on the computer and he's like, uh, hello, is there actually any dinosaurs in your park? Yeah, tapping on the CCTV in the truck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's no T-Rex and the tour rolls on. Uh, we get Dr. Malcolm explains chaos theory. Um, he actually explains it very well. I'm not going to explain it now. It's, no, but he... it's the best description of it. Yeah, it's really, really good. Um, Malcolm is flat out trying to seduce Dr. Sattler. It's very yeah. creepy. I don't know. I think this guy's got some moves, man. Uh, he's He's got some moves, but he's inherently you're going, oh, you're, you're all bare chested and everything. It's, yeah, it's not nice. I don't know. He's my hero. I think he does a great job. Um, <laughs> this is where we get Dr. Grant just leaps out of the Jeep. And you get the um, in the control station, Samuel L. Jackson, I told you to put locks on those doors. Why would you not have locks on these doors? It's mad. Um, we get a sick Triceratops. Practical effects are some of the best in all of cinema. I have seen this animatronic up close and personal. I have laid my head on this Triceratops, the same as Dr. Grant does, and it does exactly what it does in the movie and looks exactly the same. It looks real. It's amazing. That's incredible. And this was one of the first sequences they filmed in the movie. Um, and it was at this point, literally everybody involved was like, this is groundbreaking. Yeah. What we are doing here is literally going to change the course of history. Um, yeah. And I remember in an interview with Sam Neill, he says at some point, he's like, I remembered filming this scene and there being like five nerds. He actually used the word nerds. He's like, there was five nerds operating this mechanical triceratops and somebody on a blowpipe making the chest go up and down. Yeah. And I was like, that's so cool. Yeah. It, it looks incredible. Um, we get dino poop. Um, it's been eating West Indian lilac, and this is where Sattler's explaining that this is not native. They did not have this; didn't exist when these were alive. That's why it's getting sick. Um, the tour's being cut short because it's raining. They're all told to get back in the jeeps, and Sattler's like, "Look, I'm going to stay here." Uh, one thing I'm going to say here: the dinosaur poop is head height to all of them, but the dinosaur's bum. It's not head height to any of them. How did it poo this high? What did it do? Do a handstand. <laughs> that was the one thing you took away from this scene. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. If we're nitpicking, that's my nitpick. All right. Okay. Okay. Well, we all have one. That is yours. Yeah, uh, you're not going to even address it. It's just, it just is. I, no, it just didn't bother me at all this bit, to be honest with you. Okay, I, but I, this kind of goes nowhere, though. We never find out why the Triceratops was ill. It was because it's eating it. It's no, because either... Laura Dan goes elbow deep in the poo and says, oh, yeah, no, it's not been eating those. Oh, OK. Well, well, it was just sick. Had COVID. I know, but it just kind of leads to more questions as to whether their research and what they're doing, does it have a lifespan? I think it's yeah. a really cool element to imply, but it just doesn't then go anywhere with it. I was always under the illusion that maybe the science behind what they're doing isn't as effective as what they're intending it to be. Because they're trying to say, oh, yeah, it's been eating these berries and that's what's made the Triceratops really, really ill. She's like, well, the only way to know that is by testing the stool samples. And then she goes elbow deep in the in the poo, which 
Dr. Malcolm is not very happy about. Um, and then she's like comes to the conclusion that it hasn't been actually eating the berries. No, that's very true. I, I never really picked up on that. But yeah, you're right. So it's Dino COVID. Dino COVID. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dennis starts the plan to steal the embryos and the rest of them get back into the Jeeps, apart from Sattler, who stays there. Uh, the boat's going to be leaving for the island because it's the last boat before the storm rolls in. And Dennis has only got 15 minutes to get everything. He makes his excuse that he's going to get some something from the vending machine. He even asks everyone, like, do you want anything? Do you want some candy? Like, this guy's never nice to anyone. All of a sudden, like, do you no, want soda? Most, do you want some candy? It's the most out-of-character thing he's ever done since working there. Um, I also love the fact that Samuel L. Jackson in this has a cigarette in his mouth or in his hand every single time he is on screen without exception. Yeah. He makes his excuse and he's off and he he disappears. And basically he's like, oh, the system's going to do some rebooting shit. It's because I'm fixing X, Y, Z. Uh, some systems are going to go offline, but then they're going to come back on. So, so don't worry about it. And he leaves. Um, Malkin and Grant are discussing kids. And this is where Malcolm's like, I'm always on the lookout for the next ex Mrs. Malcolm. And I watched this with Lisa, and Lisa just looked at me and I went, What? <laughs> Excellent. Go she, on, Lisa. There was literally like this slow turn of the head. Like, just <laughs> glared at me. I was like, You need to stop. Um, <laughs> but again, this is where he mentions to him about having attraction to Laura Dern. He's like, Oh, yeah. So, Laura Dern, what's her situation? And again, it's sort of implied that it's with Dr. Grant, but not fully said. Yeah. It, however, it come, it's very much Dr. Grant going, well, she might be with me, she might not, but I don't want her to be with you because you're a slime bag. Yeah, stay away. Um, Dennis gets in the embryo lab and he gets all the specimens. It's great. The, the fences start to fail and Dennis is driving out into Jurassic Park. He's driving down to the boat. I love the fact that as he's driving out, like all his glasses are steaming up because it's it's all very real. Yeah, it's it's raining. His glasses are steaming up. He can't see where he's going, uh, and he crashes into a sign. And the sign is the one that points to the dock, and it's got an arrow on it, which is now pointing at the floor. He stands the sign back up, kind of gives the arrow a spin, and goes, "Fuck, that'll do." Um, as all the fences start to fail, Samuel L. Jackson jumps straight on Dennis's computer, and we get that. Ah, 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 you didn't say the magic word. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> so annoying. <laughs> so annoying. And all the phones are out as well. And this is the first inkling we get that it's all going to go horribly wrong. Um, with the systems rebooting, the cars have now stopped as well. And they've stopped at the T-Rex pen. And the kid has found out, found the boy has found the night vision goggles. This whole setup is incredible. And the water ripples on the glass is one of the most iconic scenes in cinema history. Um, yeah. Quick quick fun fact was done with a bass guitar string underneath the glass of water. Um, well, that's they, cool. But... They tried over a hundred different techniques to make that work. None of them worked. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, it was literally a bass guitar and someone going, dong, to make the water ripple. Really so cool. If you want to recreate that at home and you have a guitar, it doesn't have to be a bass guitar, any guitar, put a glass of water on something, put the guitar underneath it and strum and it will do the ripple effect. Again, a real, coming to, you, a real <laughs> coming to you soon. Um, when they're looking through the night vision goggles, the, the goat is gone and the goat just lands on the roof of the car 
and the T-Rex comes bowling through the fence. I always find T-Rexes really cl- like they portray them as like really clumsy. Yeah, which is weird because they're supposed to be like the the alpha. Yeah. This is like it, the great white shark of the land and it's Yeah, it's, it's like just a dodo bird. A, it's just a chicken. <laughs> yeah, it's just like bowls through the fence. Um I find it incredible that they made a life-size T-Rex animatronic. We'll talk about it in facts, but... I was going to say, you've cut me off because you know I was going to go off on a tangent about that. (laughs) A a lot of these scenes, this is a full-size animatronic that weighed ridiculous amounts, but I've got all of that in facts, so you can go off there. Um, The lawyer jumps out of the car and goes and hides in a portaloo. Leaves the kids in the car. Dickhead. Yeah, real dickhead. Um, I love the fact that like the kids are panicking and Dr. Grant's like, stay still. It works on motion and they're fucking around with the torch. And he's like, fucking stupid kid. He's like, you can feel his anger. Like, why are you doing this? Why do you, why has no one taught you that a T-Rex attacks based on movement? Yeah. Idiot. Like they should know. Yeah. Um, T-Rex tries to eat them and it smashes through like the big sunroof. And Grant gets out and like cracks a flare to get the T-Rex away. And he's kind of done it, and he like plays fetch with the T-Rex. The T-Rex is about to follow it, and then Malcolm gets out not to be outmanned. That, this annoys me so much about Malcolm's character as well, because it is basically, no, you're not taking the hero glory of saving these kids. I want to be involved. Yeah. So Grant fully has the situation under control. He has the flares, waving it in front of the T-Rex. The T-Rex is fully distracted by the flare. He throws it off. But bearing in mind the T-Rex cage, we soon find out, is about 10 foot, maybe even more down. Yeah. So he's had to climb his way out, which, again, for us into logic, how he would do that with T-Rex arms. Anyway, yeah. never mind about that. Um, so he throws, he throws the flare over the side of the encagement, and the T-Rex is going for it. He's following the flare, and Malcolm's like, no, 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 you, you can't be the hero. So he lights his own flare, jumps out of the car, and starts waving it around. At which yeah. Grant's like, you fucking macho asshole. Yeah. What and are you doing? Just like, keep still and yeah. throw the flare. And he runs off and the T-Rex chases him. It knocks Malcolm over, um, but it knocks Malcolm over and like demolishes the house or the portaloo that the lawyer's yeah. in and then fully eats the lawyer. And I was like, yes, good. Completely just bites him in half. Yeah. You got exactly what you de- what you deserved. Um, the car gets knocked over the edge. Long and short of it. Uh, this scene goes on for a while, but long and short of it, T-Rex crushes the car with the kids in it for a little bit, then knocks it over the edge and it goes crashing down. Back with Dennis. He's crashed again because he's a fuckwit and he can't see through <laughs> his glasses. Um, and as he gets out, he drops his glasses and there's a little dinosaur. His interaction with this dinosaur is amazing. He's like, oh, hi, hi, little guy. Um, yeah, I, I'm gonna. Like, he throws it. He throws a stick for it, and the dinosaur just like looks at him. He's like, "Fucking stupid dinosaur! No wonder you're extinct. I'm gonna run you over on my way back down." Brilliant. <laughs> and like as he's climbing up, he he like drops the canister because he like he turns around and this dinosaur fucking spits like this acid in his face. He drops the canister, and you see that get covered up in loads of mud. Um, he jumps in the truck. He manages to get back to the truck. Jumps in and just gets eaten. Like the dinosaur sat next to him and it comes up and like all its like faces all flared up. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, because this was a dinosaur you were supposed to see in the first enclosure. They give you yeah. the exposition of it spitting venom into your eyes to blind you. And then 
and which is exactly what happens to Dennis in this scene. Um, but again, like I said earlier, I just feel like this was a wasted moment for Dennis. It would have been better to see him then reconnect with the group and have his... No, I don't want him to have a redemption arc. He would have still wanted to get eaten by some sort of dinosaur, but to hold accountability for his actions would have been nice to see play out in the story, yeah. I think. But there's no um, accountability. His accountability, he, his accountability was when he got eaten. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and uh, again, it works really well. Uh, and it, yeah, oh it, yeah, no, I'm not taking anything away from it. It still and, plays out perfectly. I'm and just they talking tee, in hindsight. They tee up a perfect sequel here where the canvas get covered in mud. You're like, ah, oh. instantly. Like, the first time I watched this, like, we're getting Jurassic Part Two. I'm yeah, so happy. That's exactly. But it doesn't. That that no. that scene never comes back in the entire six movies that come after it. M- which maybe, I don't understand why. Maybe may the next one. Uh, we don't need any more fucking. Jurassic Park movies with Chris, whatever his face is, Mario. Um, Dr. Grant goes down and he climbs down to the bottom where the little girl is as well. Um, and then he goes up in the tree to collect the boy. Again, practical effects. Everything in this movie is fucking real. There's actually a, a Jeep that falls down through the tree while they're climbing down. And it looks great because it is actually a Jeep falling through a tree. It's such a trope in movies with stuff like this. So it's like they go down. So like, don't go down, just go round. Yeah, just go one step to the side and let it fall past you. <laughs> exactly. Why do they do this? Um, Sattler and Muldoon um, arrive at the scene of the broken fence and they find Malcolm. Um, they strap him up and get him in the Jeep and they're like, oh, we're going to look for Dr. Grant. Um, and the T-Rex instantly comes back when they're there. And we get the T-Rex car chase scene, which, again, is iconic. And it's been copied and memed so many times. Family Guy, The Simpsons. This has been done and stolen so many times now. I think even one of the scary movies stole this. Yeah, it's almost as iconic as that slow motion scene in The Matrix. It's that parodied. Yeah. One thing I am going to say, though. They were not driving very fast. They clocked the T Rex at thirty-two miles an hour, and they struggled like fuck to get away with it, away from it. They did, yeah, but that was because Mal- uh, Doctor Malcolm sat on the gear shift. To be fair, <laughs> this is true. Um, Grant and the kids take refuge in a tree uh, until the morning, where they get woken up by a Brachiosaurus. Um, they're, they're the long-necked ones for those of you who didn't pay attention earlier or uncultured to dino names. Uh, oh, the big... Brachiosaurus, which we still haven't established. No, they're a big. It's a big cow dinosaur, is what it is. <laughs> it's a cross between a moo cow and a giraffe. Yeah, and I said moo cow because I have moo cow because I have a three-year-old. Yeah, um, it sneezes on the girl, which is gross but also funny. Yeah, really good. And I have to feel like the Last of Us ripped this scene off. Yeah. Like, this is scene for scene, The Last of Us with the giraffe, is it not? Yes, exactly the same. They trek across the park, um, and they find eggs out in the wild. And this is where, all of a sudden, Dr. Grant has a a brainstorm. He's like, some frogs in the wild can change their DNA, and they can change from male to female, which is actually fact, because I Googled that, because I I called bullshit and then got proven wrong. No, that is fact, and it's not only frogs that can do that. There's lots of amphibians that can do it. If they're in a single-sex environment, they can change their sex so they can still reproduce, which is incredibly clever. But again, that never comes to fruition in this film. No, only the fact that they have been breeding. That's that's all we get from it. Um, Back at base camp, it's shut down completely now, and they need to reboot it. 
Um, and the only way to do it is to switch on the breakers, which are at the other end of the co- compound. And Samuel L. Jackson's like, fuck this shit, I'll go do it. And he tootles off. Um, we get the stampede scene from The Lion King. Love this. Uh, I, I, I'm i not a fan of this because I think The Lion King done it better. <laughs> you can't compare the two. It's the same scene. The CGI it's in this is seamless, thing. though. It's yep. seamless. Um, this stands up better than all the modern Jurassic Park movies, any of the Avengers movies, excluding Endgame. This is so, so, so good. Um, you get Sattler and Muldoon decide they're going to go and help Samuel L. Jackson because he's taken too long. And Muldoon is like, I'm taking this massive fucking shotgun with me. Rightly so. For fully on board. Um, when they leave, we find that raptors have escaped. Uh, Sattler runs when Muldoon's like, oh, we're being hunted. Um, and he's taken out exactly how Dr. Grant ex- describes it at the beginning, where he's, where he's terrorizing the little boy. It's exactly that. He sees one in front of him. He pulls up the gun to get the shot. And then he hears the noise next to him. He turns his head. He's like, shit, clever girl. When he realizes he's out. he's absolutely fucked and there's no way out of this. I love how raptors are now like the most feared dinosaur across sort of pop culture because of this movie. Yeah. Because it was the T Rex. The T Rex was like the most infamous predator. But this establishes that velociraptors are the ones that you need to be scared of because they're clever and they can think and they have and fast memory. And they're small yeah. and they're and like they're, more your side. They're they these are strategic. Yeah, the Velociraptors are the Michael Myers of the dinosaur world and the T-Rex is the Jason Voorhees. Exactly that. Yeah, that's just a mindless giant chicken. But whereas these raptors are very clever and calculated and they plan and think and remember. And you get that scene where he's like a clever girl and he gets wiped out and then it focuses in on that one. So almost like the lead raptor even though you just see her face just hiding behind the the the, the, the sort of yeah, bushes, the, just sort of watching as if to say, yeah, you fucking deserve this kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, you, you fucked up. We got you. Yeah. Um, Grant and the kids now get to the fence as the power's coming on. Um, the boy is zapped. as the, the, They're climbing the fence. The power comes on. The boy won't jump. The boy gets zapped. Um, and Dr. Grant gives him mouth to mouth to save him. Um Two, these two kids could have climbed through the gap in the fence. Dr. Grant was the only one who needed to climb over. <laughs> it bugs me to this day. How have I never noticed that before? Of like, course, they could have literally just walked through. Yeah, they could have literally just like dived through one of the holes. But no, they climbed up and back down. Um, also, Do like though, the way the fact that he's climbing and he gets stuck and he's nervous. He's like, he's like, jump, jump. And he's like, no, 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 I can't jump. I can't jump. And he's like, look, count to three. And then you're going to jump. And he's like, one, two, zap. Yeah. And um, then when he wakes up, the first thing he says is three. I'm like, good lad. <laughs> uh, fun fact, 10,000 volts would have fried him alive and he would have stuck to that. He wouldn't have gone anywhere. Yeah, 10,000 volts is a lot. You're an electrician. I don't really have much context on this, but you would know yeah. how much damage that would cause. Yeah, you, your house has 240 volts running through it. Yeah, and uh, I've had a few zaps off a of 240 volt and that shit. It doesn't necessarily, it hurts, it hurts a bit, but it just kind of makes you dance around the room a little bit as if you're like, yeah. Ah, ah, ah. yeah, I mean, t- actually... t- 230 is enough to kill you if you grab hold of the cable. 
Yeah, I've so, only had like a quick zap and been able to pull away quite quickly. Yeah, um, t- 10,000 volts if you're holding on to it. What electricity does is it runs through you and completes the circuit. So your hands would actually lock onto it. You would not, you wouldn't be coming off that. It would literally cook him. But not to get too much into the science of it all, because you've got birds who can sit on electrical cables because they're not grounded. So because he's not grounded, technically, does that not imply here? I, I don't know. I'd need to. I'd need to throw it past our electrical QS. I may come back and answer that in a couple of weeks. You're the electrical mastermind on this show. You should know the answer to this. Um, the raptor is chasing Sattler. Um, yeah, you're just going to move on. You're just going to move on real smoothly. I am. <laughs> smoothly, I thought. Um, not, not, not enough. The raptors are incredible. There's a bit where Sattler like falls against a thing, and she sees an, an arm touch her shoulder. It's Samuel Jackson. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. And as she pulls his arm, it's just an arm. Yeah, brilliant. Completely destroyed. Um, Grant gets back to the kid, the compound with the kids and immediately leaves them on their own to go and look for the other adults. Yeah, because to be honest, and in, in Grant's defense in this situation, he's not aware of the severity of the situation. They've only really encountered the T-Rex and a Vegisaurus, as the little girl likes to describe them as, one that only eats plants. So yeah. for him, he's just like, oh, we're in the diner now. The doors are closed. We're all nice and safe. I'm just going to go find help and I'll come back to you. I promise. Um, so I didn't, I didn't throw much, um, query over this situation. I kind of got it based on what they'd experienced on their own personal journey so far. Yeah. I still think I'd have taken them with me, but hey, he, he does. They're a hindrance. So children yeah. are a hindrance. You know, you've got kids. This is true. <laughs> um, Sattler finds Grant and she literally comes running through going, run. He's like, oh, okay, we're running then. Um, and we cut to the kids and they're eating loads of pudding. They found like the buffet that's out. And we see a raptor silhouette go past a, a, a mural of a raptor. And it's brilliant. Um, we get the scene in the kitchen. The special effects work in here is a combination of kind of everything. And it's just outstanding. Like yeah. when they they get in the door and they're jumping up and like you could even like the raptor's getting impatient and tapping its claw on top of the metal worktop because it, it knows they're there. It's so, so, so good. And this features one of my favourite film uh, scenes in the entire film is where the young girl's hiding at the back of the corridor in the crate. Yeah. And the raptor sees her reflection opposite her and he just charges full pelt to try and take her down and just bashes into the crate only to find that she's in the one behind him and it's a reflection. The whole yeah. House of Mirrors thing. Really clever. Really, really good. They lock one in the walk-in fridge um, and the other chases them into the lobby where they find Grant and Statler um, and they get into the control room and they close the door and Grant's like, well, we're okay as long as they don't figure how to open doors. And then with that, the Raptor's like, oh, I know how to use a handle. <laughs> They're learned. They're clever. The clever yeah. little species. Um, and they try like pushing them back and they're trying to force it. And this is where the girl becomes super hacker. So she mentioned earlier, like in a throwaway comment, she's really good with computers. She is better than Samuel L. Jackson, who's had 40 years of computer training. And she fucking hacks Jurassic Park in like three minutes and fucking everything's working. The doors are locked. And it's like, well, I'll take it. I, I just, I just swallowed <laughs> it. And like, yeah, it's fine. Do you know what really bothers me about this scene as well? is like how slow that fucking computer is. Like, this is like the most tense scene. The Raptor's trying to break through the door and you see this computer slowly generating as she's trying to navigate through it. And I'm like, I remember when computers were that slow. 
yeah. I had a game. I had a PC game. I don't know if anybody else will remember this. It's um, it was called Virtual Springfield, and it was a Simpsons game. It was it was like virtual. It was you basically you did fuck all on this game. Like you did absolutely nothing, but it was like a you was basically like a. Um, like a virtual reality Springfield, but you could kind of like mouse click your oh, way okay. around the town, yeah. and then every time you clicked on it, it kind of moved. It basically like the what what modern what modern day Google Maps is. You know when you go yeah. on Google Maps, yeah, 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 yeah. View, and then you click and it takes you further down the street. It was like that, but it took about five minutes to move ten steps down the road. And I was watching this scene, I was like, oh. I remember the good old days. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember when you used to like try and look at a picture, and the picture would load line by line across the screen. Proper pixelated by pixelation, and then it yeah. eventually come clear, yeah, man. Kids Paper. these days have no idea the strides we had to go. None through. whatsoever. Um, they call Hammond, who's in the basement with Malcolm, and they tell him that basically everything's up and running. Um, a raptor jumps through the glass into the control room and they retreat up into the ceiling void. This is so tense. It's like something from Alien with this dinosaur like poking its head up through ceiling tiles and like turning and seeing. It's so good. And they kind of navigate through the ceiling and they end up on top of the T-Rex bones in the lobby. As they start to climb down, I love the fact that no fucks are given by the raptor. It just leaps. It's like, I will get one of you. And it demolishes the bones. They all end up like dangling on their own individual bone. Uh, and they like start falling down one by one. And we have this moment where like, they're all huddled together and they're face to face with two raptors. And the T-Rex comes in. It's like, ah, oh, snack. And eats yeah. the raptors. Like, this is brilliant. This wasn't actually the original ending for this movie. The T-Rex wasn't supposed to be a part of the ending of this movie. Um, I don't actually know how it was supposed to play out. I'm not too sure what the context of was the original ending, but they introduced a T-Rex due to... It it may be stopped because it might be in facts. Oh, Oh, I I, I have no idea what happens here, but yes, the T-Rex was always supposed to be in this final. (laughs) Uh, No, but it wasn't, but I'll explain why. I'll give you you what the actual... Because I I have it based on my own clouded memory, but yeah, if you know the actual facts, then we'll wait till we get there. Okay. Um, They escape and get in the Jeep uh, with Grant's turning around to Dr. Hammond and going, after careful consideration, I I will not be endorsing your park. And Dr. Hammond's like, no, I will not be endorsing this park either. Um, They board the helicopter. We see them fly away into the sunset. And Hammond stares at the mosquito in the amber on the end of his walking cane. Um, There was an urban legend for years when I was a kid that there's a dinosaur on the bottom of the helicopter. It's not there. But there was an urban legend that there was. Um, We are going to have a lot to say about this movie. Like, a lot. Um, But before we do that... Well, I think it's time for three-word review. Yeehaw! I have a confession to make. I've just realised I do not have three word reviews in my notes. So what we're going to do is we're going to do the first ever. I'm going to pick three word reviews as we go. And we're going to do all from Instagram because that's where you show us the most love. Um, Every single social media got involved in this. I'm really, really sorry. I thought I'd done this, but I hadn't. Um, So we've got uh, BJ Mojo, uh, pretty damn classic. And they're a horror account. Uh, randomly Eric, who was Eric82, Mark's arch nemesis. What do we think he's got to say? Ah, about what's he doing? Is he changing his name to 
to come at me from a different angle. What's his um, what, What's he doing? Effects done right. Okay, we're on the same yeah. page with this. Yeah, uh, of course we are. Uh, Tinker Buff, uh, greatest ever made. Uh, Let's talk horror channel. Sexy Jeff Goldblum. Yes. Uh, we've got uh, one enthusiastic horror fan official. Quintessential 90s viewing. Yep. Uh, K Lampay 5678, who's Kate, called the show a, little, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, spared no expense. Love that. Um, Cray Cray KJ, absolute cinematic masterpiece. Uh, the Plagasus, uh, Rainy Dinosaur Island. Uh, chainsaw, a golden chainsaw, still looks great. Projectile Varmint, my wedding song. That's cool. That is cool. That's really, really cool. cool. Yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, we've got uh, it's Paul IG, Raw Baby Raw, uh, Dewey Pod Monster, Hold On to Butt, and Bloody Babble. Oh, it's kind of not three words, but I'm going to let it go. Samuel L. Jackson, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, um, that's definitely worth a pass. Yeah, we'll do one more. Uh, we've got Chemical Lover, Big Fucking Dinosaurs. Lovely. Do you know what's really strange is every time you do three word reviews, it seems like more and more people from recommended account of the week are then finding the show and getting yeah. involved. Like there is a few there that you've listed that I'd probably never listened to the show before, but then I've done recommended account of the week and I can pinpoint certain names like, oh, I've used you before and recommended account of the week. Yeah. It's nice that they're all now starting to take part in the community. I love it. Yeah, it's, it's really, really good. And almost like you knew what was coming next. <laughs> I actually didn't. Give me a minute. Recommended account of the week. Uh, so this week's recommended account is Cremuels underscore customs. And you can find them on Instagram as always, because that is the only place I seem to go to these days. Um, these are a Jurassic Park fan account, if you will, I suppose, but they're not just the kind of fan account which showcases scenes and things from the movies. They make replicas from the movies, so you can go there and you can purchase items that you can find in the movies. So, for instance, you've got the um, this is more Jurassic Park 3, um, where you've got the raptor skeleton that he uses as a whistle to make the noises and stuff of the raptors. Do you remember that from Jurassic Park 3? So he's made replicas of that which you can buy. You've also got Plenty of mo- the mosquitoes trapped in amber that you can get on either canes or you can get them in like fossilized bits of amber and stuff like that, which is really, awesome. really cool. The best one for me is the canister that you've got from. Ah, oh, um, with the spray cream canister. The spray cream one. And this is a fully detachable thing with all the gadgets and stuff inside. He, he or she, I'm not too sure, uh, pronouns or their pronouns on this, but they, they make all the replicas that you can see in the movie and these are all purchasable you can add these to your collection so if you are a big jurassic park fan and you want some custom made memorabilia and and to be honest with you this is probably some of the highest quality stuff that i've actually seen out there um you can find them on instagram at cremulas underscore customs and that is spelled k-r-u-i-m-e-l-s underscore c-u-s t-o-m-s customs um as always give them a like give them a follow let them know that you run podcast sent you and purchase some of their stuff man it's fucking awesome i would love to have some of this stuff in my collection yeah mosquito in amber i'm gonna go and have a look when we finish recording because that sounds awesome 
oh man, honestly, the stuff is amazing. You can get it on a full fucking cane, like a Hammond cane, or you can just buy the balls, like sit on the top, or you can get like the unrounded stuff where it's like in like a bit of almost like glass essence, if you will. But for me, I want I want some of that barbasos. Yeah. Barbasos canister that unclips from the bottom. I wonder if it actually sprays the foam. That'd be interesting. That, that'd be awesome. Um, let's do some facts. There are a lot of facts this week. Um, Interest in paleontology is something that was on the decline. We had the atomic age, then we had the space race, and everything kind of shifted away from dinosaurs. Um, Dr. Nate Smith of the Natural History Museum, um, who's a dinosaur expert, uh, said that Jurassic Park generated so much interest in the field of paleontology with new people that 10 years after its release, they started to discover new dinosaurs at a rate of 50 new dinosaurs a year because they had so many paleontologists wow that's incredible this movie changed an entire field an entire scientific field was changed by this movie man this movie changed so much it really (laughs) just a history of paleontology um the t-rex the big animatronic t-rex malfunctioned many many times due to the rain um Kathleen Kennedy, who's the producer, um, said the T-Rex would go into heebie-jeebie mode sometimes. Um, so they'd all be like sat around eating lunch and just not really doing much, just sat outside, just chilling out. And the T-Rex would come alive and like rear up and fucking roar at everyone. And it's not even on. It's wild. And I think this thing, I can't remember the actual wear of what it wears, but they used to... The way they the way they mounted it was like on an aeroplane simulation thing. So there was a guy mounting it from behind, but the whole thing was on a big pedestal. And the scenes where they filmed the stuff in the rain early on with the car and everything before they flipped it over, this was supposed to be kept out of the rain. Yeah. It couldn't get wet. That was the whole idea. Um, but obviously, as you know, things just get carried away. So they they sort of set the rain to come behind it. And then they had another rainfall segment, which would come in front of it, which would keep the T-Rex out of it. But this is built out of foam, which is yeah. basically like a sponge. It was so 1.8 tons. 1.8 tons. There you go. So this was 1.8 tons dry. And then what they did was it was basically just fucking foam. This was a foam thing. And as you know, foam, sponge, yeah. you put a sponge in water, it absorbs some moisture they got carried away with filming and this thing got into the rain somehow. And then it went from one point, what did you say? One point? Uh, 1.8, 1.8 tons. It'd gone from 1.8 tons to sort of like double or triple its weight due yeah. to the, in, due, due to it sucking in all of the rain and the moisture from the set. And this thing just fucking toppled over. And it was like, basically like dropping a nuclear bomb on set. The people like, it just shook everything yeah and like Um, they had like an alarm thing on set so every time this was used or lifted up in place they had like an actual alarm siren to say stay the fuck away because this thing (laughs) this thing's live and active and it weighs a ton and if it falls on you you are instantly dead yeah big fucking wet sponge dinosaur is now active go to safe place (laughs) um when the hurricane uh hurricane in in inky hit um, so this is there was actually a real hurricane that hit. So a lot of the hurricane scenes you get is actually a hurricane hitting the island. Again, no CGI. This was an actual hurricane that hit Hawaii while they were filming. Um, Richard Attenborough slept through it. Everyone was to, everyone was told to go to a safe place, 
um, and they were all moved from their bedrooms of the hotel. Richard Attenborough didn't open his door, so they just went, okay then. Uh, He slept through it. When he was asked the following day, how on earth did you sleep through that? He went, my boy, this is to Steven Spielberg. My boy, I slept through the Blitz. This was nothing. (laughs) Legend. Yeah. The thing is, well, like, I wonder whether the script was changed because of this actual, because this was an actual hurricane. This happened duration of filming they they brought everybody into this sort of gymnasium thing and they had to just go and hibernate in there until the storm had passed because it was like destroying towns and buildings and stuff like that um i wonder whether the script of the film was actually changed or whether this was all supposed to be filmed in i i, I don't know I'd, I'd be interested to find out it's not it's not all of it is it it's just the stuff with the t-rex where it was actually yeah. filmed in the rain the sort of typhoon weather yeah. um it'd be interesting to know whether that was accommodated due to the actual real life storm. Um, but Jeff Goldblum was recognized as a bit of a hero because he was the one who everybody else was being their celebrity status. But Jeff Goldblum was on the front lines, packing up all the kit and getting all to safety and making sure everyone was safe. And yeah. Yeah. Go and Jeff he, Bog- yeah. He was doing that and Richard Attenborough sleeping. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, the original ending had the rib, of the T-Rex skeleton skewer one of the raptors um, and then the jaw dropped and killed one of the others. Um, The crew got this change. So this was Spielberg's ending. Um, Some of the cast and crew went to Spielberg and went, look, it just feels really phony. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like this is a thing. It doesn't feel like it work. Um, They all pitched ideas to what they should do. Um, Steven Spielberg went, leave it with me. Um, They shot the ending with the T-Rex because he wanted to be the T-Rex to be the star. Um, They shot the ending and no one knew how he had ended the movie. He didn't show anyone. After after he shot it, he went, right, I'm done. I know that's that's my ending. That's how this ends. And no one really knew until they were all sat at the premiere. So there's loads of like people at the premiere going, I hope he didn't fucking skewer it with that rib. I hope he didn't. And then that's the ending we got was one that Spielberg went, it's fine, leave it with me, I'll sort it out. I mean, that initial ending, though, that was obviously brought into to the limitations they had with technology, CGI and all the rest of it. And then when ILM came into the forefront and yeah. there was a lot of scenes that were introduced. So like Spielberg, with the stampede scene in particular, um, Spielberg filmed quite a lot of that stationary. He didn't move the camera around. And it was ILM who said to him, no, look, you need to move the camera around more because when you're stationary filming it with a, with a steady frame, it's very difficult for us to interject the CGI to make the placement of the footing of the dinosaurs look right, look, look conventional. So like what you need to do is you need to move the camera around more. So Steven Spielberg's mind was just absolutely blown at this point. He was like, what, like I can do this and move the camera around and you can still, maintain placement for the feeting and stuff while I'm moving the camera around. It's like, yeah, yeah, you go nuts. So he just lost his mind and just went wild with it. And it was that sort of implications of what he could do there that give him the insight to then have the ability to interject the T-Rex into the final act. Yeah. I don't know how the actual thing played out itself. I obviously, I know that was the initial ending with the ribcage to try and kill them. I don't know how it all came together for him to finally interject the T-Rex at the end, but obviously it's all down to ILM yeah, coming and, in the and Spielberg, halfway through. Spielberg obviously going, sitting down and going, what else can I do? Oh, I've got all this technology I can play with now. Let's have a chat with them. 
see if I can make this yeah. work. So he um, basically just dumped this massive idea on them and was like, yeah, so what we're going to do is you're going to get this T-Rex, you're going to throw it over here, and then he's going to snap that one, and he's going to take this one here, and he's going to smash it through there. Yeah, and ILM and- was just kind of being like, Oh shit! It's just taken us four months to make it run. <laughs> yeah, we was just ta- it's taken us four months to make it take a step and roar. But yeah, that's fine. We'll do that for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sam Neil fumbled his way through multiple takes, giving uh, the little boy CPR. Um, it was Joseph Mazzallo, who's the actor who plays the little boy, um, got permission from his parents and had a conversation with um, Sam Neil and Steven Spielberg of like, look just let him give me CPR because surely that works. So Sam Neil done that and actually gave him mouth to mouth. Uh, Mazzello now in interviews refers to this as his first on-screen kiss. <laughs> Excellent. What Excellent. Guy. I mean, to be fair, that's one to fucking for the memory books, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Universal Pictures purchased this purchased this from Michael Crichton for $2 million. Um, this uses approximately 30% of the content of that movie, of that book. Oh, really? I have this book. I have it down here right now. I have not, I've not read it yet. I do yeah. need to get around to reading the, it. There's, there's lo- lots of changes, and I'm not going into all of them because, the, in my opinion, this is one of the rare occurrences where the movie is infinitely better than the book. Um, That's interesting because Michael Crichton, he is like a name, isn't he? He did oh, yeah. Westworld and um, yeah. What was oh, the, the other one? That the did? man, the man can write, but Spielberg yeah. took what he wrote and went. All of these bits are good. A lot of that's filler. A lot of that's kind of deep and political. I don't want any of that shit. I just want, I just want your dinosaurs, please. That's all I want. Yeah, yeah. Because it was actually um, the way that it panned out was like the idea behind it. Spielberg. Um, Crichton were actually friends and I think he brought him on for another project and it was Spielberg was like oh you're writing a dinosaur thing I love dinosaurs what's this you've got going on over there this is by next fact oh Um, sorry (laughs) no it's fine Uh, Steven Spielberg was actually in early production with Michael Crichton for making ER the movie based on the that was it ER the TV show that was the one I was thinking Um, of when he heard about Jurassic Park he ditched ER, which would just literally was about to start shooting. He went, no, I don't want to talk about doctors. Do you, sorry, you got dinosaurs. You got a book with dinosaurs, really? Um, and they went into production on that. Afterwards, as a favour to Michael Crichton, he returned and helped develop ER into the TV series that we that we got. So That's sp- wild. That e- ER, the TV series, is from the same mind that brought us Jurassic Park and Westworld. Yeah, absolutely wild. Um. This cost $63 million to make. Want to take a guess at how much this took worldwide? I don't know. It's really difficult because it's one of those films that still gets played regularly in cinemas today. They have annual screenings for it and anniversary No, we're, we're editions. talking its initial cinema release worldwide. Right. Uh, and what was it? What was it? Did you say? You uh, $63 million it cost them to make. I'm going to say 300 yeah, three hundred in the first weekend. Wow! Uh, one point for nineteen ninety three as well. Yeah. One in the first weekend. One point one billion dollars this took at the box office. Holy shit! How did this develop money. such a subpar sequel? Well, this is where we're going to next. So our game this week is a game we've played before. It's higher or lower, uh, and we're going to play that with the Jurassic Park. 
cinematic universe of box office numbers of how much well, if you done. start with number one then it's going to be a pretty much straight blast see you thought you think that but it might not be so we are going to start with number one because you've got it so jurassic park made 1.1 billion dollars did jurassic park three make more or less money than that oh so you're jumping straight to three i am they're not in order oh jurassic park three is my favorite as well out of curiosity, which is your favourite? Number one. No, it, number one out of the equation, which is your favourite? Uh, probably Jurassic World. Really? Mm, I like the return in Jurassic World. I think you're on an island in that one. The rest of the ones they've done after that are shit, but that first Jurassic World, that gave me the real, like, Jurassic Park vibes and, like... I like the fact no, that they no, took... no, no. Yeah, and, and I, I like the fact that they took everything that Hammond done and they had a little statue to Hammond and it was all on this big grand like Disney like size scale. I, I liked all of that. So I, I really liked yeah. that one. Um, oh, anyway, right. Jurassic so... Park three. Did it take more or less than Jurassic Park? Uh oh, I'm gonna say <sighs> Do you know what? I'm gonna go out on a limb here because I feel like this was like a proper resurgence. You have Sam Neil back. And and by this point, the first movie had already established the grandeur of what this franchise was. Um, I'm going to say more, even though I think I'm probably wrong. You are very wrong. It made $365 million. Ooh, Um, that's disappointing. So Jurassic Park Park 3 done $365 million. Did Jurassic Park 2 do more or less than that? Jurassic Park 2 did more, I think. Purely based on everybody had seen the first one and then they'd come out in their droves to see the continuation. It did. It done $618 million. But I feel like that was the downfall for the third one because the third one is a lot better than the second one, but because the the second one was so bad. But let's go to the next one. So Jurassic World Dominion. That's the latest one, isn't it? That's the latest one. Did that do more or less than Jurassic Park 2, which done $618 million? And again, that was bringing back Jeff Goldblum, Laura Dern, and Sam Neill. They were all returning and reprising. That film's a fucking mess. Um, I'm going to say more. It did. It done $1 billion. Nice. Um, So Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which is the second in the Jurassic Park, well, Jurassic World series. Um, Did that do more or less than Dominion? Less didn't it done more is 1.3 billion dollars wow yeah uh final one jurassic world did that do more or less than 1.3 billion dollars so this was the the first research it was it done 1.6 billion dollars wow I mean, um, it's a healthy franchise. Don't get me wrong. It's a healthy a franchise. Healthy, Where do you stand? It's taken over $6 billion at the worldwide box office and cost less than $800 million to make all of those movies combined. Yeah, that's insane. Absolutely insane. Most profitable franchise, probably. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely wild. And this is why they will return to this franchise they will make another one or they will reboot it or they will they will always do something with this because like even the worst performing of the jurassic world movies still made a billion dollars where are you on those jurassic world movies because like i'm i'm not i don't hate them 
they're just not as fulfilling as they should be. And like the final one, Dominion was really, really fucking disappointing. It was like yeah. they didn't have the ability to commit to the story the and they first... just left everything so open. Yeah, and the not first, conclusive. First one I loved, second one not as much, third one I watched them with what is this? Yeah, like the second one was literally just raptors and then yeah. herding raptors through cityscapes and stuff. It was very annoying. Yeah, but the first one was great, like where they're yeah, really they've, good. T- they've really turned good. the raptors into like a fucking dolphin show. I loved all of that because that's exactly what we would do. If we brought yeah. back raptors, there would be raptor handlers teaching them to jump through hoops and jump and bite fish out of like spectators' hands. Yeah, it was just so fucking um, Gremlins 2 and you had like McDonald's and Pepsi signs everywhere and yeah, it was so on the nose. I, I loved it. I really liked that one. But then the sequel was very subpar, similar to what we had with the original trilogy. And, and then the third one and bringing back dire. the OG cast was just like, what the fuck is this, man? Yeah. They just went nowhere just throughout the whole thing. It just went nowhere. Yeah, I, I agree. But hey, it made a shit ton of money. They all did. Um, I'm going to let you round this up first because my roundup is literally a sentence long. Yeah, mine's not going to be too far behind you, to be honest, man. Mine is very simple. And this is, I don't know what to say about Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park is amazing. It is a groundbreaking movie that changed cinema forever. Um, The casting in my eyes is perfect. I can't imagine anybody else taking on the roles that were portrayed in this movie. What happened behind the scenes with the visual technology is more endearing and more interesting to me than the film itself. Um, And considering how amazing this film actually is, just shows a lot for what I'm trying to talk about. Um, I really like, if you're interested at all in any way about visual effects and practical effects and, and CGI, go and there's a, there's a, there's a TV show on Netflix called, movies that made us um you watch the 40 minute episode on jurassic park and it will blow your mind on the kind of behind the scenes turmoil that went on during the production of this film and how incredibly life-changing it was for so many people involved in the production of this movie it i don't want to dive too much into that because it kind of takes away from the spectacle that is the overall execution of the movie um so i'm just going to round it up really quickly i'm just going to say jurassic park for me is the pinnacle of cinema i know you've got your star wars fans out there you've got your lord of the rings fans out there you've got all these sort of genre loving movie fans out there i don't feel jurassic park gets the recognition it deserves among films such as star wars and all the rest of them this is a genre defining movie that should be celebrated and appreciated and respected by anybody who loves cinema. And it's a five out of five for me. It deserves nothing less. This is a perfect movie in my eyes. Yeah. Um, What can I say to follow that? It's faultless. It's perfectly paced. It holds up visually better than things that are released last week. It's perfectly cast. In my opinion, it is one of the best pieces of cinema of the last 30 years. It's one of Steven Spielberg's best pieces, which with the back catalogue that Steven Spielberg has, that is like 
he's done so many movies that are iconic that everybody knows that everyone's like Spielberg is amazing and this is up there with Jaws for how how brilliant he is as a director even from like the intimate scenes where it's just two characters to the wide open scale shots of mountains and cliffs like every shot in this is absolutely perfect it's a 10 out of 10 and i've got literally nothing else to say about it agreed yeah um that brings our episode to an end and no it doesn't no it doesn't no it doesn't i said we would have conflict we have i expect to deliver on that oh you mentioned to me before we started recording this episode that you do not feel this is a horror movie so this Ah. is time for a segment i called Scott and Mark argue for five minutes. Well, the concept is horror, but it's delivered in a very non-horror way. Right. Now, you are a big, massive Jaws fan. Greatest horror movie ever made. How can you tell me that Jurassic Park is not a horror movie? Jurassic Park is the best and most greatest creature feature. Bear those words in mind right now. Creature feature horror movie of all time. How can you tell me it's not a horror movie? What elements throughout this production do not make you believe that this is not a horror movie? I tell you what, we're not going to argue. It is a horror movie. Oh, well, that was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. But it's not as good as Jaws. It's better than Jaws. This is Steven Spielberg's best work. This is a horror movie through and through. That scene in the kitchen alone with the raptors. If you take right, I don't know what it is about this movie that where you implement dinosaurs to it, then everybody signed that kind of lose all perception of horror. If this was some sort of alienized creature or a fucking crocodile or something that people can probably relate to more than a dinosaur which is pre-extinct, yeah, you it's... would probably like, oh, it's a horror movie. Yeah, I mean, you replace those two raptors with two killers with chainsaws, it's a horror movie. I mean. A- Chainsaws are not relevant, I suppose. But... No, but I added chainsaws because it, yeah. But yeah, you, you, even you Spielberg are right. seems to have this path throughout his career where he can manage to convince the MMPA or whatever they're called. I don't know. I'm not American. Here it's a BBFC, I think yeah. we call it in the UK. Um, but he has this ability to be able to convince them to, no matter what he puts out, he can convince them to make it a PG. This is no. not a PG movie. This no, is it's it's genuinely it's not... horrifying with moments of gore. The the thing is though, Steven Spielberg brings you a movie and he presents it to you as a pretty dinosaur movie. And it's Steven Spielberg, and he sells it to you as it's a family dinosaur movie. I don't think there's many people who are gonna push back that hard. But the thing is, like, we do a horror podcast, and I said to my wife, I was like, Oh, we're doing Jurassic Park this week. She's like, Jurassic Park's not a horror movie. I was like, fuck you, bitch. Jurassic Park is a horror movie. So she was like, ah, well, I've just been on Google and Google says, according to IMDb, that this is a sci-fi thriller. I was like, I don't condone domestic violence, but I was close. And she Uh, was telling me this was... I was like, no, Jurassic... You you get cancelled for saying shit like that. Take that back. (laughs) You know I talk shit on this show and I don't mean anything I say. But I, I felt moments of rage. I felt genuine moments of rage when she was trying to explain to me, well, Google and IMDb say that it's not a horror movie, so it's not a horror movie. I was like, fuck IMDb and fuck Google. This is a horror movie. Yeah, Scott please, also says on, it. Scott, Scott also says it's not a horror movie. Do you genuinely believe that? Uh, 
I've let all like my children have watched this. My youngest daughter has sat and watched this, and it did not bother her even in the slightest. If I went and got poltergeist and put poltergeist on, both my kids would be terrified. And by that basis alone, this is not a horror movie. And the same stands for Jaws. If I put Jaws on for my younger kids, they'd be petrified. But Jurassic Park, they're not. And that's why it's not a horror movie. But it just confuses me so much when we dissect it like that. Because if you take a movie such as Alien, not Aliens, the original Alien movie. Yeah. There is so many more moments of horror and horror elements within Jurassic Park than there is in that original Alien movie. Yeah, but, but it's framed Alien differently. It's This is very much framed as a family movie. And these elements of gore and horror are very much a backseat to everything else. Whereas in something like Alien or Jaws, those horror elements are the forefront and the, the rest of the plot and backstory is the bit that sits behind. It's just the way it's framed. The way it's presented. But that's something that Steven Spielberg has a knack for doing. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, he's, he is the master of going, I've made a really terrifying horror movie, but what I'm going to do is I'm just going to set these bits back ever so slightly, and I'm going to give you lots of beautiful scenes of gorgeous dinosaurs, or I'm going to show you this wonderful family dynamic, or I'm going to show you this and that, and these bits are going to be such a minor point that they're not going to be your takeaway from this movie. And he but does as it. horror fans, and when we watch it, we can't help but focus upon the certain elements. So for us, we're watching this and we're like, shit, man, this is like the best creature feature I've ever seen. This is the most horror-centric creature movie oh, and, and that's come is. out in the past 50 years. And it is, but he does it in such a good way that, like, as I said, I've shown this to my two younger kids, and they're like, oh, it's a dinosaur movie. Like, even like with the severed arm, like Jack's like, oh, the dinosaur bit his arm off. It's like, there's no element of fear with that it's like oh he bit his arm off but if i showed him jaws i watched that today and that is a true moment of tension and fear like that portrays like a moment from a horror movie yeah and to categorize it as a pg Uh, and have so many people tell me that this isn't a horror movie just infuriates me we're gonna let the listeners settle this someone call in and put your two pennies worth in on this is it a horror movie or is it not I don't want to leave it to the listeners because they always go against me on this. Yeah, Eric, Eric, I need you now. <laughs> Fuck off, Eric, please. No, don't call it. Um, that brings an end to this episode. That does bring an end to this episode. Also to all of our normal episodes for 2023, as it's now officially Christmas horror time. We get to dive Yay. into Christmas horror movies. The next two episodes are going to be very jolly. I'm going to have lots of pretty lights if you're watching on YouTube. I'm going to have a Santa hat. I'm going to have... I'm already not... light-centric. Yeah, you, you are. You're, you're premature, as always. Um, <laughs> it, uh, it's going to be two very, very festive episodes. One comes out next Monday. The other one comes out the following Monday, which is Christmas Day. So make sure you listen to that episode while you're prepping your turkey or while you're avoiding family members you don't want to talk to, because that is going to be such an episode that is so geared to that day. But until then... Ho, 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 holy shit. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. I know. You know there's going to be an argument for fucking whether it's a horror movie next week. There's not. If you <laughs> if you argue Jurassic Park is a horror movie and next week you try telling me our movie's not a horror movie, we will actually fall out. <laughs> anyway. Tune in for Find Out next week. Yeah, I'll see you all next week. Yes, guys, see you next week. And, oh, before I forget. I'll kill you if this is a joke. 
You want to die tonight? The You Run Podcast. The You Run Podcast. The You Run Podcast. The You Run Podcast. Why isn't it possible? I can't say nothing. A Candyman will get me. You choose the movies. I had a hard on this morning when I woke up, Tina. Had your name written all over it. You scold them. Nice fucking model! You review them. For that, you get the head, the tail, the whole damn thing. Why not, you stupid bastard? My name is very fucking confused. What's your name? Captain Howdy. You don't want to go fooling around other folks' property. Goddamn soul. Just a beer. Because after all, this is not our show. This is your show. Right, welcome to our secret part of the episode, which last week, anyone who stuck around, there wasn't one. And I'd done it on purpose to see how many people go, oh, he just forgot. Or oh, he stopped doing it now. And I'm going to see now how many people have dipped off and don't play this week. Very cunning. It wasn't that I forgot. Are you sure? Because sticking... I was going to ask, have you forgot? <laughs> no, no, no I, I I, didn't forget. I might have forgot. Well, you anyway. Yeah, well, it, some people will have gone to the end of the episode and gone, oh, 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 he stopped. And they're not going to be here this week. So anyone who's persevered and realised that either I forgot or I was being extra cunning, um, your challenge this week is to share something Jurassic Park related. Um, what you need to share is you need to share a picture or a post, not of Jurassic Park, just of your favourite dinosaur. So I want to see your favourite dinosaur on your story or in a post or in a tweet. And I literally just want a picture of said dinosaur. And all I want you to do is hashtag dinosaur. That's it. Nothing else. That's going to be interesting. I can't wait to like go on Instagram and look at all these horror accounts and then like scroll through and say like, oh, that's a Diplodocus. Oh, <laughs> that's a T-Rex. Oh, look, it's a Raptor. And please, everyone get involved this week because it's such a fun, quirky one to do. And to make it fair, I will share a post of my favourite dinosaur. And I'm not going to share what that is because my dinosaur is going to make everyone laugh. I will do the same, but you will probably have to message me and remind me to do so. I, 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 I've got a feeling I know what your favourite dinosaur is. Tech, remind me, message me, like the, put your favourite dinosaur up, and I will yeah, do it this week. When it comes, out, I'm, my... I'm not very good on social media. I just kind of log on, do what I need to do, and then I don't go on it ever since. Well, <laughs> what, what I'll do because I'll probably forget to remind you is I will share mine and I'll tag you in it. Yeah, yeah, do that, do that, and then that'll give me the kick I need. Yeah, and if anyone shares it to their story, please use the song, Open the Door, Get on the Floor, Everybody Dork the Dinosaur. <laughs> I want that to be like a trending sound everywhere. That would be amazing. Um, Brilliant. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for sticking around for this last bit. Um, you're playing for a spot on the show next year, which we'll be announcing on our first episode of January. Who gets that spot? Uh, and then I'll be in touch with you and we're going to give you four episodes to choose from as to which one you come on and join us for. And that'll be an episode in February. Oh, so we only um, have two weeks to go then, really. Yeah, so two weeks left. So, yeah, until next time, see you all later. Have a good week and, yeah, catch you soon. Cheers, guys. See you soon. Bye-bye.